are listening to the Academy Revival Podcast. This is Drew, a resident of the Montevilla neighborhood and huge fan of the Academy Theater, here with the person who is spearheading the revival programming at Academy Theater. Doorman, what's up? All right, we're going to go through our July revival movies here. Um, we got four different movies to talk about for this episode, uh, and it'll be our official episode number one. All right. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, you know, I'm just super excited to go through this month. You know, we only have four movies, but it is such a great diverse collection of movies that it, you know, it's almost better when they have less is more. We're really hitting a bunch of different niches in film, you know, history and cinema. Um, so let's just get right into it. Sure. Um, so the first week we have July 7th through the 13th. I'm very, very proud to announce we have a killer whale double feature. <laughs> wow. Move over Shark Week. Yep. We got a killer whale. Move over week. Jaws. Like Jaws is a traditional July 4th yep. movie. Absolutely. But... And we're doing things a little different. Um, so for our killer whale week, we have a double feature of Free Willy from 1993 and Orca the Killer Whale from 1977. <laughs> Quick correction here, just jumping in to say that Killer Whale Week will actually run from July 7th through July 11th, so make sure to come out and see Orca and Free Willy from Friday to Tuesday. Thanks. And so this was a double feature. I got the idea of it because... Um, I had watched Free Willy pretty recently over the pandemic, um, and I'd been pining and pining to watch Orca. And when I watched Orca, I mean, the, f the first thought I had was, oh, my God, it's the inverse of Free Willy. And I just immediately wrote it down in my little notebook that I wanted to do a program of this. So this is a dream come true, literally. And I guess by inverse double feature, what I mean is that Free Willy, it's about a boy making friends with an orca. <laughs> Sure. And Orca is about an Orca making enemies <laughs> with a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, that's yeah, the full spectrum of, uh, of you know, childhood hopes and dreams being eaten alive by the time you turn into an adult. So we've all, <laughs> yeah, we've all yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's get into the first one. This yeah. is Free Willy, 1993. Um, here's the description. The tagline is, a friendship you could never imagine, an adventure you could never forget. Free Willy is a heartwarming and touching story about the friendship that develops between a boy and a whale. When the boy learns that the unfortunate plans are in store for his friend, he carries out a plan of his own to free Willy. <laughs> Set in the Pacific Northwest and featuring a stacked cast of Laurie Petty as the orca veterinarian, Michael Madsen as the blue-collar foster dad, and the insidious Michael Ironside as the evil water park owner, and, of course, Keiko as Willie the orca. I think it's Kiko. Kiko. Let's go with Kiko. Kiko. I, couldn't, as, I wouldn't have been able to Willie. guess that in trivia, if, yeah. <laughs> if you ask me. What the, what the name of the orca was in Free Willy. So I think this movie... I guess is, I would have said Willie, but Willie's the kid. No, no. Willie is not the kid. <laughs> Willie is the whale. Right. Yeah. And so. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Kika. Kiko is the 
is the, <laughs> the name of the whale. actual <laughs> yeah. orca. Yeah. <laughs> and so this movie is just, it just really doesn't get played. It's really underrated. When I watched it, I was like, man, I didn't know what to expect. And boy, does it hold up. So I'm really excited for people to revisit this or to bring their kids to it for the first time. I think this is going to be a major rediscovery for people um, who maybe haven't taken it seriously. I mean, it's not a super serious movie, but just Free Willy, I feel like, has uh, it deserves to be more of a classic than it than it is initially. Um, and uh, you know, I was thinking about how to pitch it. And I was like, oh, do I want to give spoilers and stuff? And then I was just thinking about the title. Right. The title is Free Willy. I think that. <laughs> That itself, telling people that they are going to free the orca from captivity is not really much of a spoiler. So this isn't like an old yeller type of kids movie. No, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> but um, so one thing that was really struck struck me when I uh, rewatched it a few years ago was just the cast. You know, I, I went through them a little bit, but Lori Petty, she's coming right off of a league of her own. Yep. She's a huge nineties cult figure. She's great as the aspiring Marine biologist, um, just perfect in the movie. Um, and, uh, we also have Michael Madsen right after Re- Reservoir Dogs. So it's just, they're really at their peak prime. And without that cast, this movie could be super mediocre, but it really isn't. It really stands. And getting to watch it in Oregon, it's filmed in Astoria, filmed in Portland. One of the very first scenes is 90s Pioneer Square, the oh, well. dumpster diving for food. It's just, it's going to be unreal watching it with the cast and having kids there, adults revisiting their childhood. So it's going to be quite an experience. I'm very excited for it. So, yeah, you hit on a couple things I was curious about. I probably haven't seen it for 20 years, yeah. um, conservatively. <laughs> and it's always interesting to revisit like your more nostalgic, straight up like kids' movie um, uh, loves as an adult it requires like the right context definitely helps if you're watching it with with an audience or with friends and like you know not just by yourself and in like a sad way that you're trying to recapture your childhood magic so i i can't wait to see it in the theater but also i had no personal experience or connection to oregon or portland when Mm. i would have seen it as a kid so i remember snippets of the of the plot but it'll be a fresh experience in both respects like seeing seeing Oregon on display will be super cool like going back and watching kindergarten cop <laughs> also it filmed yeah. in Astoria Absolutely. big film moment in the early 90s in uh, and the, Oregon the, the main kid in it Jason James Richter is his name mm-hmm. uh he's a real Oregon kid he was born in Medford so it, it has a Oregon vibe to it that is you know Goonies-esque maybe but yeah. uh it it doesn't get played like the Goonies and it's going to be a real treat to see it. I'm, you know, also one thing that really struck out to me when I rewatched it is it really fits weirdly in this genre of nineties kids movies where they're either their parents are dead or they're foster kids and they're missing one mom or dad, but it just seemed like every kids movie from the early nineties, you, you know, they have these missing parents and Willie is no exception. You know, it's like Jumanji, they're orphans, you know, Casper, mom is dead, you know, right. Terminator two, you know, that's not as much of a kid's movie, but still it's the same <laughs> vibe, you know, and they graffiti, you know, and they go some ramps skating. Yep. And, yep. So it has, well, that. Like, I mean, we've all been riding around on a dirt bike with our friend on the back exactly. of the dirt bike, holding a boom box. That's just a yeah, classic kids. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, and and Mike Michael Ironside is just one of my favorite bad guys ever. I'm a big Scanners fan. Oh yeah, you know. So I think he really elevates any movie just to have him as the villain. Yeah, that's the other thing you bring up, like. I don't think I'd seen Reservoir Dogs when I saw Free yeah. Willy. So, <laughs> exactly. and I, I know I hadn't seen Kill Bill and I had no relationship with, with Madsen yeah. at that point. I had seen League of Their Own, but it's just not when you're a kid, you're not, you don't like have an attachment to these actors. Yeah. So, like, you aren't able to appreciate how much quality production and acting can elevate what would be like a kind of a trite movie potentially. So, I'm, I'm pleased to hear at least or going into it kind of. Um, excited that it's going to be like that's going to live up to my childhood memories <laughs> and, and then, I, I'm a big music soundtrack lover and, and the score is just really fantastic it really takes you back it's it's really emotional and evoke, you know, evocative uh, it's by Basil Polidorus oh Basil is all over yeah. like all the 80s fantasy movies yeah. the Conan movies yeah, like, Conan I, and, yeah Robocop yep. um, this movie Big Wednesday which I really like um, but in addition to his awesome score we also have a killer Michael Jackson song oh yeah I mean, in video to accompany it, like yeah. right, yeah, yeah, that was oh, like a yeah. big, the- yeah, yeah, and it's it's banging. I play it a lot. It's great. It's, a, it's a- I, I I don't want you to answer this, but I wonder if it's the type of movie that you know they play like the full title song, like a, a song that was made for the movie, yeah. like and the, over the end credits or where they're going to use it in the movie. But um, I can be surprised by that. Yeah, kinda. yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then you know, it's all about the jump. At the end of the movie, yep. it's it's it's. Yeah, I'm not spoiling the end, but if you don't know what, the, what we're talking about, but that jump was a big deal, and it's still a big deal. It's a great moment, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it on the big screen with a room full of people. So as we go through these movies, um, I'm not always going to be, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be equally hyped about every every yeah, one. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of give like an honest um, commitment whether or not I plan to see it at Academy. So I'm going to, I'm going to say yes for, <laughs> for this one. <laughs> for All sure. Right, yeah. You've... They captured a whale with a tempter. He doesn't like anybody. And the only one who could reach him. Would like to do some tricks today? Was Jesse. Big circles, buddy, big circles. By winning his trust and making oh, Willie his friend. I love you, Willie. All right, boy. Come on, Willie. It made Jesse a hero. Yeah. Free Willie, Bridget PG, now playing at a theater near you. Okay, so the second movie is also the killer whale. Uh, it's Orca from 1977. Okay. And this is very different. This is an adult movie. Um, here's the description. Sleek, intelligent, beautiful, and hell-bent on revenge. From producer Dino De Laurentiis, who brought you Death Wish... Blue Velvet. I was going to say Blue Velvet, one of my faves. <laughs> and director Michael Anderson, Logan's Run, join forces to present the rousing action-adventure tale of Orca. It's the story of one powerful being against another, a strong, determined fisherman by the name of Captain Nolan, played by Richard Harris, the Cassandra-crossing Albus Dumbledore, versus an equally determined killer whale, featuring a supporting cast of Charlotte Rampling, the Night Porter, and Will Sampson, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and boasting a robust score by the great Ennio Morricone. Orca is far more compelling than any Jaws ripoff has any right to be. 
Okay. All right. So this is the very, you know, this is 1977. So it's the very first wave of Jaws ripoff. So Jaws is 1975. So I'm always super fascinated by these initial movies. And I, I compare, I'm sort of comparing Orca to Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. where Halloween came out 78. Then everyone realized it was great. And so they started making movies in 79. So 1980, you have these really interesting kind of initial waves of ripoffs and they're just not as diluted. It, once you get to 82, 83, it just feels a lot more stale right. here with Orca. Jaws was a fantastic hit and really just changed the whole landscape of cinema. Um, and one of the big things that it did was turn sort of, genre movies from being reduced to B pictures to these A blockbuster movies. And so the ripoffs are consequently really not B movies either. I mean, you have these really big names attached to it. Um, And so Dino De Laurentiis saw Jaws and made a bunch of money and he was just like, well, what eats a great white? What's, what's better than a great white shark? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the answer Orca. Not a mega squid. Yeah. No, no, yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. The answer is it's a killer whale. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the impetus, but it really, you know, the Ennio Morricone score really classes it up. But again, just like Free Willy, without this great cast and their chemistry together, this really could have been just a mediocre whatever movie. But the forces were all combining to just give this chemistry a really awesome, just entertaining value. And so we have you know Richard Harris in just peak form um actually going through a lot of personal problems in his life and bringing that to the emotion to this uh, I mean, there's a couple moments where he flips out but um he really just is is great in the movie in addition to Charlotte Rampling which steals the show she um is the uh, marine biologist and she's the most beautiful marine biologist of all time and she's an actress that I think is going to be a big discovery for a lot of people because she she just isn't a household name the way she should be. She's a great actress. Uh, most people now, I think, know her from The Night Porter, uh, but uh, she she really deserves a little bit more recognition, a lot more recognition than she's given, and I think people are going to be really blown away by her performance in this. Um, in addition, I would, I'd really just recommend to people not Googling this movie it's going to be hard. People are going to be like, what is this Orca movie and stuff? But everything about the promotion of this movie really tries to take away what I think should be seen blind and, and spoil, you know, a, a really crucial part of this movie. And, and I'm hoping that we do a post film discussion. We can get into it and talk more specifically about this, but just take it from me. Do not Google it. Just trust that description I gave you and trust that cast and go for it because this is a really special once in a lot you know this movie never plays this is a really rare opportunity to see this movie um and i just think people should go into it in the right way um and it's it's a lot to ask of people you know oh i just want to <laughs> trust you to go see this jaws ripoff and stuff but um if you've seen alligator this this is classier than alligator but it's it's competing with alligator for the best jaws ripoff and i'm right. a big alligator fan yeah so. more than like willard that's a giant rat movie <laughs> yeah, um, which is before jaws yeah but it's still good yeah, yeah. oh is that before jaws yeah it's oh, 71 well. oh okay yeah yeah well um, obviously jaws completely ripped that off um <laughs> uh, piranha of course it's all uh, in those the are the natural, little the little you know, fish yeah animals but, attack yeah. genre which is a favorite of mine so yeah 
I am in the position uh, that you just described of going in blind. I haven't seen this is of the two movies we've talked about so far. I, I have not seen this one. So I, I can't wait. I know I have friends that have brought it up to me before that remember it kind of like as a childhood movie. Uh, friends that are slightly older than me mm-hmm. that watched it, you know, when they were young. And again, like you wouldn't differentiate between Jaws and Orca as a kid. Like you don't have the cinematic um, skills yet to, to, to really, you know, uh, compare them. They just are both awesome movies at that, at that age. Same for the horror movies you were describing. I mean, it's like some people prefer the, the, the unintentional, like, um, exploitation of Friday the 13th versus Halloween trying to kind of actually be about evil and the other ones just kind of trying to be fun and entertaining. Um, so I, I'm, I'm super excited for Orca. That's another yes for me. So my schedule is filling up. Orca starring Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, Will Sampson, Keenan Wynn. A spectacular adventure. From the depths of the sea to the top of the world. It's going to be a fair fight on equal terms. A fight to the death. Between the two most dangerous animals on earth. What in hell are you? Man and Orca. Let's move to the third film. So uh, this is July. 14th through 20th, so the next week in July, we have two more movies. Uh, Amarcord from 1973, which is part of our revival series. Oh, I should mention just quickly about Orca, though. That that's part of the Deep Cut series. Gotcha. The I'm, series that I'm doing, and I'm you know, Switchblade Sisters was last month, and I really appreciate people coming out to support that. Um, is Deep Cut? Well, I guess it varies. It's one or more movies a month that fall it's into just, that. It's just one movie a month. Okay. Same with the international series and the horror series. Gotcha. Um, but we did we paused the uh, international series last month to give space to the horror series, and we're doing the opposite in July. So in July, we got the return of the international series that's programmed by Chadwick. Emmercord from 1973. Federico Fellini returned to the provincial landscape of his childhood with this carnivalesque reminiscence, recreating his hometown of Rimini in Cinecetta Studios and rendering its daily life as a circus of social rituals, adolescent desires, male fantasies, and political subterfuge. Sketching a gallery of warmly observed comic caricatures, Fellini affectionately evokes a vanished world haloed with a glow of memory even as he sends up authority figures representing church and state, satirizing a country stultified by fascism. Winner of Fellini's fourth Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, Amacord, remains one of the director's best-loved creations, beautifully weaving together Giuseppe Rattuno's colorful cinematography and Danilo Donati's extravagant costumes and sets and Nino Rota's Nostalgic Tin Score. I really loved the, the music, and I was pleasantly surprised to see it at Millennium Music, just flipping through the soundtracks, like, oh, they re-released the Omicrid score. So uh, clearly people love that score, and it's uh, great that it's available for people um, now. So this was a new one for me, and you know, I just love the international series because Chadwick is really digging into foreign films and exposing these ones that, again, just aren't really 
championed and you know i just i'm not out of all fellini's movies given how big of a splash Amarcord made when it came out it was a just colossal success um we're not in and you know i just i'm not hearing people talk about it so even though the you know maybe the soundtrack is available it definitely has a cult um for sure this one just deserves to be played for 14 time you know it's just yeah it, we're, it really, we're um when did eight and a half come out I was 60s. Okay, so well before this. I mean, I've seen, I think, some of the earlier Fellini movies. By no means <laughs> a complete uh, filmography um, with Dolce Vita. Yeah, that's and, 1960. Okay, yeah. yeah so I, I think this will be a good opportunity for me to, like I said, I like to program these little film assignments <laughs> for myself yeah. to catch up on uh, holes. And I think I have... Um, plenty more Fellini movies that I could watch in advance of seeing Amacord. Um, and this one, I'm the only hesitancy I have is kind of like the broadness, the uh, sure. apparent broadness of like the, the sure. comedy and satire. Sometimes that can be hit or miss for me. So, but yeah, you know, I'll... this is an interesting film, uh, because it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it, it's, I was like, can I spoil this movie? Because there's really not a, uh, linear plot that has plot points that you got to keep secret or something like that. That's not what Fellini's all about. So the the title is I Remember in English, and it's really part of his period where he's reflecting on different phases of his life and using those reflections to create just a cinematic, poetic journey. Um, and it, it really kind of set the you know, I, I think a lot about uh, other types of Italian movies that came out in the late 70s um, and how this might have influenced them being so hugely popular, um, having these uh, non-narrative, uh, uh, more impressionistic. Um, and, you know, my hat really goes off to the editor um, because it really, you know, a lot of people just have described this movie as just a series of vignettes, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, when I think about that, I think about like hangout movies, kind of like slacker or something where yep. they just have these little episodes and they're all kind of loosely connected by somebody walking down a street or, you know, and it really, it really does not feel like that. It's really uh, seamlessly woven um, and consequently, you're watching something at face value, but you're constantly comparing it in the macro context of all the things that have happened and creating your own linear narrative that's different than the than the just pure editing, you know, the edits that are happening right. in before the camera, you know, um, before the screen. Yeah, so. I know. I mean, that's another reason I want to revisit some of his work. It's it was hugely inf influential just from a formalistic point of view and and just kind of on the cutting edge of <laughs> like cinematic techniques um and pushing it and being experimental and this yeah. is sort of after his 60s experimental phase and into his more reflective phase but really just from a uh, you know, non hoity toity, you know, without a just a formal uh, thing, it's, it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> this well, movie is funny and it's interesting the way he presents humor. And I think that art house humor, art house comedy is like a secret genre that people don't champion. It's, I've never seen it uh, really separated anywhere, but you know, Jim Jarmusch, there's yep. really is a big following of art house comedy it's really good it's a really funny and i think it's a really interesting brand of comedy so the way he presents the comedic aspects and a lot of sort of crude isms of his um uh small town that he ramini where he's documenting here you know it, some of it is uh, a little tongue-in-cheek but it's really 
it's it's really more about these caricatures and him using them as caricatures um, and creating his own impression as opposed to being faithful and trying to recreate what life was like sure. in Ramini or and uh, put down these simple folk or something like that with a complicated... It's really not about that. It's, it's about uh, reality and what is reality and, and how do we remember things and how does memory work. Um, and he's able to do that while putting a smile on your face, which is just really charming. But um, the, the last thing I'll say is, I yeah. mean, that's... That's what resonates so much um, with me about surrealist art and surrealism uh-huh. in film. Uh, Lynch being my favorite example is yeah. that the heightened performances he, you know, gets and, and demands out of out of actors and in the writing and in the dreamlike quality of the movies sometimes resonates more emotionally, mm-hmm. is more like closer to reality because there's this weird artifice that is inherent to watching something that's that's been filmed and and that you know is fiction so like acknowledging that the the, and and, you know surrealist stuff either heightens it or just gives it like a quality that makes it feel more real to me so sounds like the same could apply for for humor as well and and when i was watching it's interesting you bring up the surrealist because i was expecting it to be a little bit more surrealist than it is um and it's it's not to say that you know I think he had a really big experimental series in the in the 60s. He was taking acid, uh, Juliet of the Spirits, his trip. You know it, it, he had a surrealist uh, experimental phase uh, for sure. Um, and he's coming out of that and keeping certain elements of it. So it, in some ways there are there are uh, depictions, especially the fascism depiction. Uh, where it really is a surrealist moment, um, but it's not pure. It's, it's he's really in a different. It's interesting, uh, and it's, I think I think uh, it'll be interesting for someone like yourself who's maybe been exposed to stuff like Lynch um, to encounter this kind of different Italian version of a non-narrative uh, and poetic. Um, venture uh, yeah. and uh and see it with people i mean that's the yeah totally. comedy and horror i mean the genres that benefit arguably the most from uh you know having a crowd and and seeing other people's reactions or non-reactions just like the tension in a horror movie right the reactions to a comedy can really you know go a long way to enhance your experience and, and i just i watched it recently just in preparation for this and i am uh, definitely going to try to see it on the big screen so yep. it's not one of those movies where it's like oh i just watched it i want to wait a little while it's like no you're going to get deeper into this you know um this, this artistic expression um I, and I, I yeah. feel like we're stalling because we only have one more so <laughs> we don't want to well we the last wanna, thing i want to yeah. say about the interest that was i just thought was really oh, yeah. fascinating about the movie um was just he did not shoot the movie in Rimini, and he was heavily oh. criticized for that. He created a whole set in Rome um, at the Cinesetta. I, I think I butchered that pretty hard when I read that, but I, I'm hoping that that makes up for it a little bit. Uh, studios. Um, and so he created this set, and um, when he was asked, you know, why aren't you filming it in your hometown, you weirdo? You know, he's saying, I don't want to be, I don't want those memories. I want to create from my mind what the town was like and these caricatures of people um, not interested in documenting the reality. And I thought that was just a really fascinating approach.
that's going to be playing July 14th through 20th, along with How to Train Your Dragon okay. from 2010. <laughs> this continues. Um, y'all played uh, Shrek movies. This continues. DreamWorks. Kind of the DreamWorks, yeah, family-friendly series. Absolutely. Yeah. And so here's the description. A hapless young Viking who aspires to hunt dragons becomes the unlikely friend of a young dragon himself and learns there may be more to the creature than he assumed. Based on a book by best-selling British children's author Crescido Cowell and directed by the team that brought you Lilo and Stitch from 2002, Chris Saunders and Dean Dubois. So this, I've uh, watched part of it and it was, you know, it was really fun and it really... It, what it struck me immediately was this is the next generation's Dragonheart. So when mm. I was a kid, there were kid dragon movies, and Dragonheart was my kid dragon movie, 1996. But I started thinking about it, and I was like, kid dragon movie? What about Pete's Dragon? Every generation yeah. has their own little kid, you know. Uh, Pete's Dragon in the 70s. You got Never Ending Story in the 80s. Oh, yeah, from when I count Falcor. You know? yep. Yeah, and so it, it, this is continuing that cinematic tradition of the children's-themed. But This is like the Viking version, which is cool. It's a cool, different riff on it. Yeah, um, when I heard this was going to be one of them, it uh, immediately struck me the parallels to, <laughs> to Free Willy because, uh, yeah, totally. yeah, it's a kid kind of befriending a, you know, typically unfriendly, unwieldy beast and, and like recognizing the the nice qualities in um, an untamable animal. So forming that bond that you, that unlikely bond between um, young person and an animal uh, is a natural transition there. And I remember, um, I actually didn't watch this movie until a few years ago for the first time and, and, and just loved the humor. Jay Baruchel mm-hmm. is, um, yeah. <laughs> is a fun actor and it's, he doesn't ha- kind of have like the sarcastic edge in an animated movie that he usually has. And so this is a very earnest movie, but it's also a visual spectacle. I think at the time, I mean, we've had other advances in animation since, but it'll be really cool to see this for the first time in theaters because I do remember when it first came out, um, like cinephiles raving about the the visual experience yep. of seeing it. And I got that to some degree at home, but I think it'll be, it'll obviously be more impressive in, in, in a big screen. Yeah, uh, it was a pick uh, by our general manager, Hannah. Um, she's really just... Uh, deeply passionate about animation so if you see a lot of the animated features there carefully curated by her and um you know she was very excited and you know she told me that you know this one it's a kind of a modern movie but it already has a huge cult following and it's it's been long enough that they want to bring it back and it's people are going to be really excited to see it return to the screen and and that's just i'm just you know really ex- seeing all the kids see some of these movies for the first time or just get really excited about them it's just a beautiful thing so the other the homework i'll give myself for this one you mentioned it Weirdly, I've never seen Lilo and Stitch, um, <laughs> which, you know, my, my girlfriend gives me shit for that. And 
Um, I mean, not shit. It's just kind of like yeah. It's just one of those movies that it's weird that I that I didn't see it when I was younger. Um, and then you know you get past a certain age and you don't feel compelled. When to. it came out, I was like a little <laughs> too cool for Lee yeah. Stitch. You know, I was uh, I was past. I was you know trying to be yeah. So yeah, I don't I know what my excuse. Was. I actually might have just been too old. I might have yeah. been at an age where it didn't make a lot of sense for me to watch it. Um, nonetheless, I will watch that. And then um, there's obviously a couple sequels to How to uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. But there's this weird trend that um, is kind of dismay dismaying that they're making a live action version of How to Train Your Dragon oh, um, wow. in the near future. I think that's, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, wow. I think that's in production. So um, I can't imagine that working very well <laughs> yeah. unless you know they have infinite budget or something. But um, and losing the charm like the the dragons are very cute like mm, yeah <laughs> like i don't know what kind of how they're gonna would try to capture that with cgi and real people but all of that aside i'm i'm excited to see this um you know this dreamworks feature that they they did the shrek movies they did um the monster movies mm-hmm. monsters inc yeah uh that was pixar, oh, is that pixar too yes um or i mean is that pixar okay yeah i, I guess I guess I'm just trying to kind of quantify yeah. like where this fall, like where DreamWorks fits into my, and you know my love of animated movies as well, and and uh, yeah. they're like maybe more hit or miss, but this this series is is definitely my sweet spot. Great, um, so I think that wraps up July. Um, maybe we can just say that our second episode we are going to review a couple movies from june yep uh you want to tell everybody what they are yeah so last month at the academy um terminator (laughs) the original was showing and we're going to talk about that as well as uh your deep cuts series movie from last month switchblade sisters so i'm really excited to dive into spoilers like you said discuss those more in depth and thanks for listening again you can subscribe and follow the podcast and get every new episode on a bi-weekly basis as they come out by searching academy revival podcast on spotify or apple or any other podcast platform that's it yeah thanks for listening everybody see you next time